So assessing the Virginia Cavalier football season, maybe one of the most mercurial things uh, while I was on that uh, sales call earlier today, Trey, which prompted me to be late coming into the fast lane. One of the points of discussion that came up uh, outside of the business realm, of course, that we were discussing was how for Virginia, it's hard to really get a grasp on where they are as a football team, just in the sense that they got killed by Georgia Tech. And that's probably not the right choice of words today. And yes, I apologize. I didn't mean that in a negative way, but they got beat badly by Georgia Tech um, a couple of weeks ago. But yet, sandwiched in between that are a victory at North Carolina and then an almost victory, you could argue should have been victories, at Miami and at Louisville. So it's it's a real interesting last four games for the Virginia Cavaliers. Um, and we'll get to that in a moment with JerryRatcliffe.com founder and contributor Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. But before we do that, we'll also start off just saying something that I think is worth mentioning before we get to him, and that is commending the University of Virginia today for opening up Scott Stadium so that people could go on the one-year anniversary of the tragic shooting on grounds uh, last year that took the lives of Lavelle Davis Jr., Devin Chandler, and Deshaun Perry. Um, I think it's awesome that they opened up Scott Stadium and allowed them to go back, fans that is, uh, to the memorial on site and just help that community continue to heal and grieve uh, during this time frame. And for all the warts, and there have been many, and I think justified, uh, that have been pointed out about Virginia's on-field football product. And, I mean, look, they have a combined four wins in two seasons. Uh, you can't overlook that. Um, how the Virginia Cavaliers and Tony Elliott have handled that other aspect, the negativity and the challenges of the shooting and then the Paris Jones injury on Thursday night and how scary that was, uh, they, they, they deserve a lot of positive praise for that. And I think it's a point that over time hopefully comes to life as it should. When we get into that more, we will do it right now in part one of covering the Commonwealth. Yep, we're copying this idea. Covering the Commonwealth, a look at the locally interesting teams and stories from the experts who cover them. Let's start with the Virginia Cavaliers. With JerryRatcliffe.com founder and contributor, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. Hootie, it's always a pleasure when we can speak with you. Uh, obviously, today it's a somber day on grounds with the anniversary, the one-year anniversary of the tragic shooting yes, last year uh, and the opening up of Scott Stadium for fans to go in and uh, pay their respects to the three fallen football players at the University of Virginia. Um, just go in depth as you wish about the gesture that Virginia has shown in giving this community once again a chance to uh, to continue healing how they need and see fit. Yeah, I, mean, I thought it was a, a good idea to open up Scott Stadium, as you said, and let people visit the memorial plaques uh, there in the end zone uh, by the pergola uh, uh, for those three players and uh, just remember what they uh, meant to this football program and to the community and certainly to their families. But uh, I, I thought that was a, a nice way of of uh, honoring those guys. Uh, I think they had some other activities on grounds today and, and throughout the community. Uh, but I thought that in particular was a, a, a very bright spot and a, uh, a very cool thing to do. And building off of that to an extent, uh, you know, the running back room for the Virginia Cavaliers. I mean, can you think of a unit in college football that's been, you know, hit harder than than that unit with Mike Collins bouncing back from being the uh, the fourth victim? He was the survivor of that tragic shooting, and obviously he's played this year, and it's a remarkable story. And then the other running back, Paris Jones, who suffered that very scary injury on Thursday night in the game against Louisville, and yet, while you know he's not in the full clear yet. 
it looks like there are optimistic signs going in his direction as well. Yeah, he underwent surgery, uh, spinal, spinal surgery out there at the Louisville Medical Center, which was a really short ride from the football stadium. So that was nice to have that nearby so that they could attend to him quickly. And um, from what I understand, he was able to walk a little bit on Saturday, which uh, is a really good sign, I think, and was moved from the hospital to a rehab center. Uh, I imagine we'll get an update by Tony Elliott at his weekly press conference tomorrow at noon. But, um, yeah, signs, uh, those are good signs uh, in terms of him recovering from a, a terrible injury, which, uh, God, it, it sent shockwaves throughout anybody that saw that from didn't matter who you were rooting for. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're glad to hear that uh, things were not as bad as they could have been or appeared to be uh, initially. And, uh, yeah, the, the Mike Holland story is one of the great stories in college football this year. And just uh, – what he's been able to do is is almost a miracle in itself. But yeah, I, I can't imagine another running back room anywhere in in the history of college football that's gone through more than than Virginia has this past year. Yeah, it really is hard to think about that uh, with the Virginia running back room. And yet, in spite of all this, this is a team that just from a raw figuring them out standpoint. I mean, you are what your record says you are. They're a two and eight football team, and that's the bottom line. But how do you reconcile what we've seen out of this team where they looked, you know, lifeless against Georgia Tech? And again, I don't mean that in a negative way. I understand the severity of today, but they did not do much at all against Georgia Tech. Yet sandwiched around that are the win at North Carolina, the overtime loss to Miami, and then the number 11 Louisville game where they had a chance to win that late as well. This has been a very strange football season, a very strange team because they've played better on the road than they have at home. When it's in Virginia teams traditionally are the other way around. It for a while there they were almost impossible to beat at home, and and here they they can't. They haven't won an ACC home game in two years. Uh, I mean they, they beat Carolina top ten on the road. They took Miami to overtime on the road. Could have won that game. Could have, should have beaten Louisville, really, if they uh, hadn't had that block pump for just uh, for one play uh, that, that made a big difference. And you know, this, this team just uh, continues to be its own worst enemy. They can't stand their own prosperity. They they have teams on the ropes and, and let them off the hook. I don't know. If you could say it's a lack of killer instinct, or they just don't know how to win. Or they're snake bitten. I don't know what way you want to try to describe this football team, but it's it's been a very bizarre season in that manner. And you know, at some point, as a program, you've got to step up and say we're not going to lose at home. And they've got two games that certainly they can compete in to finish off the season. Not who knows whether they'll win or not if they continue to make these kind of mistakes, but certainly the teams they've played to the wire on the road are, are as good or better than the two teams they're going to face to close out the season. At some point, they've, they've got to draw a line in the sand and say, we're not losing at home anymore. 
that's the wildest thing about this Virginia Cavalier football team. Meanwhile, pivoting over to basketball to wrap up with JerryRatcliffe.com founder and contributor Jerry Hitty Ratcliffe. The win against Florida. It wasn't pretty. They had the lead. They coughed it up, but they found a way to battle back and get that win anyway against Florida. Reese Beekman afterwards, Tony Bennett afterwards, both echoing that going through that is actually much more beneficial than the what you like to call rent-a-victim uh, charade that does happen and is a natural part of the scheduling in college basketball. How big was that win for Virginia basketball, though, getting it uh, the way they did against Florida on Friday night? I think considering it was a neutral court game and against a team that was, I think, going to have a pretty decent season, I thought it was a, a big moment for Tony Bennett's team. And... I thought it was big for Reese Bigman too, because uh, we were told by Jason Wilford several weeks ago that the difference in Reese Bigman was that he came back booming with confidence from the NBA Combine, and uh, we knew that this was going to be his team, and he has not been shy. He's been a, a very aggressive player, uh, much uh, more comfortable in the leadership role, uh, attacks the basket. Uh, and he's the same old defensive guy that menace that we've seen. Uh, the fact that he locked up Florida's point guard on the sideline in, in the key moment of the game and stole the ball and went down and forced the foul to ice the game just shows what Reese Beekman is all about. But uh, I, I think this team is going to – it's certainly got its weaknesses right now, particularly rebounding against a, a sizable opponent. But – I think this team is going to get better and better as the season goes along. They're going to be tested by some really big games in the early season, but uh, I think this team is going to just continue to get better all, all the way up until March. Hootie, thank you for going around the gamut with UVA today in the fast lane, part one of covering the Commonwealth. We'll keep it locked to jerryratcliffe.com and at Hootie underscore Ratcliffe as well on Instagram and Jerry Ratcliffe on Twitter. Thanks for having me, Ed. Great to sit, talk to you. We'll see you next week. Indeed, Jerry Ratcliffe with us here in the fast lane from that side of the Commonwealth to the other one, the one that's winning in football. Now to the Virginia Tech Hokies. Hokey, hokey, hokey high. David Cunningham, TechSideline.com, carving out some time for us today here in the fast lane. DC, a pleasure to speak with you. Virginia Tech, they get the win against Boston College. How big was that for Virginia Tech to get a road victory for the first time in ACC play and the first time this year for Brent Pry and to put themselves now just one game away from bowl eligibility. Yeah, Ed, great to be with you as always. I think it was huge. I was a pessimist coming into this game. Virginia Tech had yet to show anybody that it could win on the road. I mean, the only game Tech had scored in the first quarter on the road in this year was at Marshall. And then Tech proceeded to lose the game. Tech had, was 1-9 and nine on the road in the Brett Pry era before Saturday. That is a huge statement win. And it wasn't like Tech just won a squeaker. Tech dominated uh, Boston College, to be frank. I mean, 48-22, and it was probably more of a blowout than that, considering Boston College scored a touchdown or two in garbage time. This was a huge statement win for Virginia Tech. One win away from bowl eligibility, two games remaining. You got NC State and Virginia on the schedule. I like those odds. And the way in which they won that, what impressed you the most? Is it the defense 
creating complimentary football early with the Dorian Strong interception, one of his two, by the way. Was it the complimentary nature of the offense or the fact that this team started off with a we-got-business-to-take-care-of mindset and never let off the gas until very late when the outcome was clearly not in doubt? I think it's the latter, Ed. I think this has been a team that has posted pretty good yards, you know, pretty good statistics here and there this year. Has gotten turnovers here and there this year. But this team has struggled to start fast. That is not something they had a problem with on Saturday. That was huge. Virginia Tech came out first play of the game, intercepted Thomas Castellanos. That is huge. Dorian Strong had a second interception on the third drive for B.C., You can't draw up a better script than that for Virginia Tech. Hokies came out, started fast, got the job done, put BC away early. It was 31-7 at halftime. That's something Virginia Tech hasn't done in ages is put the game away. They got got backups in, in the third quarter. That is unheard of in the Brett Pry era. This is the first time in Brett Pry's two years that Virginia Tech has really dominated the game from start to finish. It was honestly really surprising, but really good to see. Now, can the Hokies build on that? That's the next big question. It is. It's a big question for Virginia Tech, and building on that, it starts this coming Saturday at 1 o'clock, 1.30 airtime for the game against NC State on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. David Cunningham, of course, will be covering that for TechSideline.com. David, we'll pivot away from football for a moment. Basketball, two games in Charlotte this past week. We'll start with the men because that was the most recent one, but not the bigger game out of the two. Uh, As the, the Hokies lose to South Carolina, are we starting to get to the point where there are legitimate concerns about the defense for Mike Young, or is it too early this year to tell? Uh, I would say it's about 50-50. I think there are some legitimate concerns, but I think it also is too early to tell. I think we can tell that this is not a great defensive team. However, Tech still has a long way to go and a lot of time to figure some stuff out. The thing is, Virginia Tech plays in the ACC, and this conference isn't necessarily the greatest. I don't want to say it's a bad basketball conference, but you got to win your conference games. And the other thing is your conference schedule is not going to help you out at all. So if you can't win in the non-conference, you're kind of putting yourself in a corner. I think this is a team that has a long way to go. Doesn't necessarily have any great individual defenders. I saw some bright spots out of a guy like Makai Long. But I think there's a long way to go. And if Virginia Tech doesn't improve on defense soon... Currently ranks 141st, according to Ken Pomeroy in Adjusted Defensive Efficiency, where on the offensive end, it's 16th. Tech doesn't improve on defense. It's not going to make the NIT. Heck with the NCAA tournament. Meanwhile, women's basketball. What a game that seemed like it was from our perspective. The close loss to Iowa. You lose it. Caitlin Clark went off. She could have had 60. I think you're the one who said that on the TSL podcast uh, or TSL Today, uh, part of the Tech Sideline podcast uh, later on. But uh, for Virginia Tech, how much more good than bad does this game do in giving them a barometer of just how much you have to bring it if you want to get back to that level, which is Final Four level? I think it's great. I think it shows you you can compete with the best on the biggest stage. Tech threw out a couple players, a couple true freshmen or redshirt freshmen that had never competed on this stage before, and they performed pretty well. They weren't necessarily shell-shocked. There was not one player that I was really disappointed in, in just in terms of they weren't ready for the moment. There were players that did not necessarily have their greatest games, but that happens. You're playing a very good Iowa team. Virginia Tech, this is a great 
game for the Hokies, for the program, for women's basketball. And you learn a lot from a game like this. It shows you where you're at, and it shows you what you need to work on. It shows you that while you can score and you can compete and you can go head-to-head with some of these great teams and you can, you know, you can kind of hold at times the best player in the country to some really tough lines here or there. I mean, Iowa was struggling, one of 15 from three in the first half. It shows you that you also have some areas to work on, too. And I think Tech could be better defensively. Tech could get Elizabeth Kitley more open at times. But overall, this is a great opportunity for Virginia Tech to showcase what the program's all about. I tell you who didn't disappoint, Georgia Amor. Career-high 31 points. And for a lot of the game, she went toe-to-toe with Caitlin Clark. That is a great point about that for Virginia Tech and something that's encouraging, knowing how to reach the ceiling of one of the best uh, in Virginia Tech women's basketball did that. David, thank you for your time today in the fast lane. Much appreciated. Talk to you soon, Ed. Thank you. Well, do they respect them now? The people out there that have questions about the Liberty Flames. That is the question we will ask momentarily. Now to the Liberty Flames. Or should we say right now with Alan York, the play-by-play broadcaster of the Liberty Flames, who's with us in the fast lane. Alan, Liberty, 38-10. to 10. It could have been 38-3 if it wasn't for a late touchdown by ODU uh, in that dominant performance against the Monarchs. Are people respecting the Flames now much more than they did entering this game on Saturday? I think you kind of have to, Ed. Uh, Liberty beating a, a team in ODU that uh, almost clipped James Madison and Coastal. Liberty beat them better than those other two teams did. So I would think so. Uh, but again, you, you still have to go out each week and, and produce. And uh, Liberty's got wrapping up their three-game homestand this week with the UMass. And then uh, UTEP to end the season. But uh, you can't argue with the results so far at 10-0 and and 25th in the country. Most praiseworthy press conference, but yet Jamie Chavall did manage to mention that uh, they know there are things that lie ahead and you can't let off the gas and the focus right now. The tone of that press conference, how much did that kind of speak to his grasp on the team of wanting to celebrate the moment of beating ODU, because that was a really good victory, but also understanding that you cannot afford to let off the gas because you know what lies ahead starting this weekend against UMass. I think he stroked the tone at a perfect time. Uh, a lot of people were questioning the schedule and and how good Liberty actually is. And I, I think he really hit uh, the perfect time in the way that game ended with ODU beating them 38-10, to 10, Ed, to, to let people know, hey, Liberty is for real. And uh, the results now compare them to Sunbelt teams of the last couple of years. Um, and what you know, Liberty has been as an independent and now being in a conference, I think you have to start taking weight on uh, how good this program actually is. And like we've said earlier in these conversations, Ed, Liberty has the schedule that it does. It's got to go out and, and compete each week. It's done that, and the results have been what they are, and, uh, and it, that's why they're 10-0 right now. They've looked as good as you could expect, especially they did that against Old Dominion in a 38-10 to game. And, uh, weird as it is to say, that one was not as close as the final score indicated. Uh, pivoting away with Alan York, play-by-play broadcaster for the Liberty Flames, who's with us here in the fast lane. Pivoting to basketball and men's basketball. They don't get a lot of these opportunities like they did this past Friday against Charlotte. How important was that victory for a Liberty team to get a double-digit win in what was essentially a road game down at Charlotte in the preseason basketball event? I think it was huge considering, Ed, where they're going this weekend and with the likes of Furman that 
you know, had everybody a buzz in the NCAA tournament last year, beating Virginia, and then other teams, a predominant group of five uh, power in Wichita State and Charleston under uh, Pat Kelsey. I think it was a huge win against Charlotte, and especially playing uh, in front of, uh, like you said, predominantly home game, even though it was at the Hornets Arena. And to come away how they did, very uh, consistent and, and even scoring like we saw in the first game against Mid-Atlantic Christian. So it was a good precursor uh, to the uh, weekend coming up down in Conway, South Carolina at the Coastal Carolina Tournament. Alan York, play-by-play broadcaster. Liberty Flames with us here in the Fast Lane. Alan, thank you for your time. We always appreciate it when we're able to connect, and we look forward to chatting again. All right, thanks, Ed. Our pleasure. Alan York. Fast Lane, when we return, part two of covering the Commonwealth. JMU, big weekend for them in football and basketball, and the Washington Commanders. So close, yet so far away.